0: John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. A few weeks ago, I spoke at a Bible conference for the Calvary Chapel in Napa Valley, California. Napa Valley is famous for its vineyards, its award-winning wines, The grapes produced in Napa Valley rival those grown in the Bordeaux region in southwestern France. While in Napa, I met an elder in the church named Francisco. In fact, he gave the announcements that particular Sunday morning. But Francisco also runs a vineyard management company. And late that Saturday afternoon, I got a real blessing. Francisco took me on a tour of one of the vineyards. He told me that he had left the banking industry in the Bay Area to pursue his first love, growing grapes. And Francisco's passionate explanation gave me a better grasp on this morning's text. For here in John chapter 15 verse 5, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is the true vine, He's the vine that has weaved His way through every generation, across every continent. For all believers in all eras, Jesus is the source of life and vitality. In Him alone, we find fruitfulness and fulfillment. This morning, we want to take a walk through the vineyard with Jesus and His disciples. In the hours before He was crucified, Jesus took a nighttime stroll. A full moon lit the path for He and His men. They traveled from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. The dirt road, it snaked down Mount Zion. It crossed the Kidron Valley. It climbed up the Mount of Olives. You know, the eastern slopes of Jerusalem are covered with olive groves, but they're interspersed with vineyards. And as they passed the rows of tightly strung vines, Jesus paused and he painted a beautiful analogy for his people. You see, Jesus knew that this was His last night with His disciples before the true darkness fell. The Master's mind was centered on the welfare of those He had spent the last three and a half years cultivating and growing. He wanted to draw a picture that would recap the essentials of their relationship. And that's why passing through the vineyard that night was no accident. Jesus took them straight to the grapes. One of my favorite all-time tunes. I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Don't you like that catchy tune? First done by Smokey Robinson, then by Gladys Knight, then by Marvin Gaye, then by Credence Clearwater Revival. Man, I like that version. What a history. But on this night and the lessons learned, Peter and the boys could have written a tune by the same title. Jesus communicates truths that are dear to his heart and his disciples. Man, they heard it through the grapevine. Four G's highlight John chapter 15 and Jesus' message to us today. He talks about the gardener, then the grapes, then the graft, and then the growth. Hey, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches this morning. You're going to hear it through the grapevine. First, notice the gardener, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, hey, this would be a thrilling analogy if Jesus just stopped right here. No other form of agriculture is as taxing and testy and tedious and tiresome and time-consuming as viticulture. You sacrifice to own and work a vineyard. You know, my tour guide in Napa Valley, Francisco... He told me that there are other forms of agriculture that are far more profitable than viticulture, but grape growing is a passion, it certainly his. People who plant and cultivate the vineyard, they do so because they love it. It's more of an art and a calling than it is a mere business. And for Jesus to refer to his Father in heaven as the vine dresser and to us as the branches, Well, man, that just speaks volumes of the Father's love for you and me. In the spring, the gardener, he trims the branches. While they're soft and pliable, he tightens them to the wire. In the summer, he fights disease and drought, and he keeps the branches heavy with fruit from dragging the ground. The harvest comes in the autumn, and in the winter, the plants are pruned back. They're readied for new fruit. There's always work to do in the vineyard. You see, the vine dresser has a full-time job. It's year-round. He's never off. There's never a season of the year when the vine dresser isn't required to give his attention to the vineyard. He prunes and he ties and he waters and he shovels and he sprays and he picks and he cleans and he gathers. You know, there are plants that produce fruit in the wild, but not a grapevine. To bear fruit, it needs the gardener's constant oversight, and the same is true with us spiritually. We, too, demand the Father's continual care. You know, in addition, it takes five years to bring a new vine into full production. The gardener relies on the principle of delayed gratification. He trains and he prunes his plants for years before he ever sees the first signs of fruit. The vineyard requires an enormous investment of time and effort and patience. And what a picture of our Heavenly Father. Our Father is the vine dresser. Hey, never in doubt, never doubt His investment and His patience for you. Well, when you think of God in heaven, what mental images come to your mind? Perhaps it's Father time. An old man with a long beard holding an hourglass in his hand. Maybe it's a Supreme Court justice, an old man wearing a black robe, holding a wooden gavel. But how about this picture? Think of Francisco when you think of God. A young man, strong and rugged and determined and passionate. The type of man who could never be content sitting behind a desk all day. A man who loves to be outdoors and make stuff grow. A man who doesn't mind a challenge and thrives on hard work. A man who enjoys laboring with his bare hands. A man who likes to go home with a little dirt under his fingernails. Imagine God reaching out his sturdy arms from under rolled up shirt sleeves and handling the plants tenderly and gently but deliberately. His face is smeared with dirt. He has a smile on his face and he wipes the sweat from his brow. Imagine God, he's up before sunrise and he works past dark. He does it year after year. He is committed to his vineyard. Guys, this is our heavenly Father. Jesus calls him the gardener. And he says that you and I are his garden. The Father loves us and he labors to make us the best we can be. He's persistent yet he's patient. He has high hopes, yet realistic expectations. Even during periods where there's no apparent growth, he stays diligent. He's in it for the long haul, and he won't let one bad season cause him to quit. This is our God. And the gardener's goal is grapes. Understand this. This brings us to our second G this morning. We find it in our passage it's grapes. Jesus tells us in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Notice a progression here. No fruit. Fruit. Much fruit. And then when you jump down to verse 8, you'll even find much fruit. Fruit. No fruit. Fruit. More fruit. Much fruit. There's a progression here. The Father's priority in our lives is to maximize the yield. He wants you and I to be as fruitful as possible. Pardon the expression, but God just goes apes over grapes. Hey, the gardener could care less about how the vines look. He's unimpressed with silky leaves and full foliage. In fact, too much greenery is a detriment. It's a waste of sap. If there's no grapes, the vine dresser will lop off the branch. He has but one priority, and that's fruit. You know, often as Christians, our expectations aren't in sync with the Father's goals. We stop short with the taste of forgiveness and freedom and even a measure of fulfillment. But the vine dresser, for the vine dresser, these are only a means to an end. You see, God forgives us and He frees us and He fulfills us for one reason He wants to make us fruitful. God is after juicy fruit. But what do we mean when we use this term fruit? I hate to say it, but I know some Christians who act a little fruity at times. Fruit and acting fruity aren't the same. I know people whose hearts are as hard as coconuts. And their motives are as wrinkled as prunes. And their morals are as fuzzy as peaches. And their methods, they're as slippery as banana peels and their dispositions are as sour as a lemon. Did you hear about the boy scout? He was out collecting cans and bottles to raise money for his troop. He knocked on one door, and it was answered by this prim and proper little old lady. She was a member of the local church, and she was renowned for being proud and self-righteous and more than a little judgmental. The boy asked her if she had any beer bottles that he could have. The woman was appalled. She was outraged. Young man. Do you think I'm the kind of person who would drink beer?" The boy thought for a minute and he he replied, he said, No ma'am, pardon me, do you have any vinegar bottles? (laughs) Hey, there are a lot of Christians out there with the sweetness of a lemon. Being a fruitcake and bearing fruit are not the same. Hey, what is the gardener looking for when he pulls back our leaves and he inspects us for fruit clusters? Well, in Scripture, the term fruit, it's an idiom for a wide range of Christian virtues. For example, Matthew 3 verse 8 tells us to bear fruits worthy of repentance. True repentance is a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. Romans Romans 1 verse 13, a bold witness brings forth fruit. Romans 6 verse 22 labels holiness and obedience as fruits. Later in Romans, in chapter 15, verse 28, the giving of our money to God is also considered to be a fruit. Good works are called fruit in Colossians 1, verse 10. In fact, in Hebrews 13, verse 15, we're commanded to continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips. Did you know that praise and worship constitute spiritual fruit? And then... There's Galatians chapter 5. You know it well. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit is at work in our lives, a cluster of virtues appear. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You see, as with natural fruit, with spiritual fruit, it comes in a wide variety of types and shapes and sizes and flavors and textures. Suffice it to say, the term fruit refers to anything that's a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. Fruits are the fallout. They're the residue of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. Fruits are the evidence of Jesus in our lives. And the gardener invests so much time, so much effort in the vineyard for one reason and one reason only. He wants fruit. You know, so many Christian leaders I talk to today They're more concerned with results than they are with fruit. How many of this? How much of that? But results are not necessarily fruit. Machines and assembly lines grind out results. But it takes something living and breathing to produce fruit. Wayne Jacobson, he was born and raised on a vineyard in the San Joaquin Valley in California. In his book, The Vineyard, he uses his experiences to reflect on John 15. He writes, you don't grow grapes in the same way you build a bookcase. It's not a matter of following well-prescribed steps within a controlled environment. Cut this, glue that, sand here. Growing a grape is a dynamic process. It demands adjustment to an ever-changing environment. There is no schedule to follow that will work successfully each year. You have to observe the vine and its needs in light of the current weather and the circumstances that impact the vineyard. You see, Jacobson is saying that formulas and programs don't produce fruit. Fruit is the result of photosynthesis. It's the interaction between light and life. And spiritual fruit is what results when a broken Faith-filled heart interacts with a merciful, loving, active, forgiving Heavenly Father. You see, spiritual fruit is not the result of self-help formulas or self-improvement techniques. It's God's work in us. You and I can't make fruit. Only God can produce a cluster of grapes. And only God can produce fruit in us. Which brings us to our third G... A grape starts with a graft. In fact, Romans 11 describes Christian conversion as a wild shoot being grafted into a domesticated trunk. And boy, this is what I was before I came to Jesus. Wild and rebellious. I was always shooting off my mouth. I'm telling you, I was a wild shoot. But God in his amazing mercy picked me up when I was drying and dying and shriveling and he grafted me into his son, into the true vine. A graft took place. You see, when a graft occurs, several steps are taken. First, the gardener, he takes his knife and he cuts a slit into the rootstock of the vine. Second, he slices off the bottom of the dying branch that's to be grafted in. Next, he places the cut branch into the slit on the vine. This is what forms the graft. Then finally, the graft is wrapped with tape or sealed with adhesive. In ancient times, this was done with clay. And what an illustration this is for us. Notice, for a graft to occur, both parties have to be wounded. That's how it starts. The vine gets cut to make room for the dying branch that was lopped off. Boy, on the cross, Jesus was cut. Jesus was slit to make room for you. Hey, with your mind's eye, can you see it? Can you see his head, in his side, in his back, in his hands, in his feet? Watch the sap ooze from the vine. Jesus was wounded to make room for you. And you too had to be wounded to make this graph work. Life with Jesus begins when we see ourselves crucified with Christ. We take on His identity. Our roots to the old life have to be lopped off. This is what we call repentance. You have to renounce the past, make a clean break, commit to a new life in the vine. And here's the miracle that ensues. Once that branch is nestled into the vine and that graft takes... All it has to do now is just abide. Just sit there and it'll bear fruit. Embrace Jesus and it becomes springtime in your heart all year long. The spiritual sap, the life and the joy and the love and the sweetness and the vitality and the power of the Holy Spirit just begins to rise up in you and it pushes out fresh fruit. You see, once you, place, once you find your place in the vine, then your only job is to abide. Notice Jesus tells us in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Nestle, don't wrestle. You see, the idea is to trust and to rely and to rest, not push and press. In the vineyard, the vines are clean during the wintertime. In the summer and throughout the harvest, the vines get dusty and dirty and damaged. But in the winter months, the rains come and they clean off the leafy branches. During the wintertime, the branches get pruned and they get tied to the wire. They're suspended from the runners that'll keep them from dragging the ground under the weight of the clusters. You see, in the winter, the vineyard gets tidied up. You see, when Jesus made His trek with His disciples through the vineyard that night, it was in early spring. The winter had just passed. The vineyard He was viewing was clean and neat and orderly. And Jesus is saying to His disciples that you too, you through My Word, through My promise of salvation, you too are clean. You see, all His followers, as His followers, they too were tidied up and they were cleaned off. All that was needed for them to bear fruit was about to be accomplished. All that was needed now was for them to trust in Him. And likewise, in Christ, you and I have become clean. Did you know if you're in Christ, you're right where the Father wants you? Sure, you got problems. Sure, you make mistakes. Sure, you'll never deserve God's blessing. But if you're in Christ, you have been grafted into the vine. You're now pinned to the wire. You're now where the Holy Spirit can work with you and in you and on you and through you. So stay put. Now you need to abide. Once you belong to Jesus, you have only one goal, and that's to abide. Jesus says it to us, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, unlike a tree, a vine has no clear line of demarcation between the stock and its branches. I mean, you can look at an oak tree, and you can differentiate between the trunk and the various limbs. But not so with a vine and its branches. On my trip to Napa, Francisco gave me a branch that had been grafted. The rootstock is down here and the branch has been grafted into the rootstock. Up close, you can see the line of demarcation. But you know what? At a distance, you can't tell, can you? You can't tell where the vine ends and the branch begins, can you? And this is what it means to abide. It means to blend our lives together with Christ. It means to identify completely with Jesus. It's to lump all that I am into all that He is. Have you done that? Have you put all your eggs in Jesus' basket? To abide is to see myself as one with Christ. It's to have everything in my life now grow out of who I am in Christ. This is what it means to abide. Listen again to Wayne Jacobson. He says, In looking at a grapevine, there is nothing about the branch that distinguishes it from the trunk. Thus, when Jesus called himself the vine and us the branches, he could have chosen no better illustration of the intimate bond he seeks with his followers. He desires that we identify so completely with him that others cannot tell where he leaves off and where we begin. The vine, its branches, its fruit are one fiber, and they're overflowing with the same life. And Jesus has formed this same relationship with you and I. His Spirit now lives in us and we now live in Him. This is what it means to abide. It's to trust in the gardener's graft. It's to stop relying on what you can do and start trusting in what God has done. You see, the branch always looks to the vine. As it grows outward, it leans inward. It remembers that its fruit comes from the vine. Do you remember that? If a branch could talk, it would cry for sap. It wants sap from the tap. It wants all the sap. It can sip. It realizes that the fruit it produces is drawn from the life of the vine. You see, a branch keeps looking to the vine, keeps relying on the vine, keeps resting in the vine, keeps drinking from the vine. This is what it means to abide in Christ. It's to orientate my whole life in a Christward direction. It's to live life toward Jesus. For it is possible to live an opposite kind of life. You see, here's a word of warning this morning. If the branch doesn't lean toward the vine, when the hot days of summer comes, the buds will get so heavy that they'll drag the ground And if dirt covers over the buds, they sprout roots instead of fruit. They they take root in the dirt. And they get so fastened to the ground that to pull them up can destroy the branch. And you see, this can happen to a Christian. When you don't lean in toward Christ, you take root in the dirt. The world grabs you, and it stunts your growth, and it's hard to break free. And this is why our responsibility is to lean in. It's to abide. It's to constantly draw life from the graft. You need to rest in the relationship that Jesus has created with you. You know, it's interesting. Verse 5 reminds us that our role in the fruit-making process is surprisingly minimal. Notice Jesus instructs us in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? Without him, you can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. Not a little bit. Not some. Nothing. Our one and only role in bearing fruit is to lean on the graft. It's to rest in the vine. It's to put no confidence in our own efforts. Christianity is die to yourself, not do it yourself. And yet it's our failure to grasp the truth of our own nothingness that causes Christians to waste so much time and energy. Faking fruit rather than making fruit. Oh, we know we're Christians. We ought to be happy. But then the drought comes. We wake up one morning in a funk. We get the blahs. And rather than lean into the vine and trust the fact that we're grafted to Jesus, we try to manufacture our own joy. We plaster a phony smile on our face. And we try to conjure up the desired emotions. We bounce into church with a hallelujah on our lips, but we're having a heck of a tough time in our hearts. Or we know we should be bold, not fearful. We want to be bold. We want to shake off the fear factor. We want to muster up. We try to muster up a forced boldness, but then our heart betrays us. In the heat of the moment, we we shy away. Reminds me of the young lady who went door-to-door witnessing with a group from her church. She was reminded beforehand of the power of prayer. She was told to pray before she went out. When she returned, she was so excited. Wow, prayer is powerful. I prayed no one would be home, and God answered my prayers. (laughs) Too often, fruit faking, we're fruit faking instead of fruit making. And you see, everybody is surprised to realize our utter weakness except Jesus. He's not surprised. He's the one who told us, without me, you can do nothing. When will we get it? The Christian life, my friends, is not a difficult life. It's an impossible life. You can't do it on your own. God has to put it in you and live it through you. If it's not there, why fake it? Just admit it. Then go back to the graft and rely on Jesus to do in you what you can't do yourself. It really is a life of faith that we're called to live. Paul said in Galatians 2 verse 20, he said it so well. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was abiding in the vine. He was trusting in the graft. There is but one requirement for the branches, and that's to abide. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Think of it this way. Jesus is the hand. You're just the glove. On your own, you're limp and weak, but wrap yourself around Jesus. Have you done that? Have you wrapped yourself around Jesus? When you do, He'll live His life through you. 25 years ago, I learned a little poem I still quote today. Man, when life gets heavy, when I start to buckle under, I remember Jesus' words to me. Take not a single care of thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work to rest in me. Are you abiding in the vine? Which brings us to our final G, and that's growth. Where our gardener God makes fruit. He wants to make more fruit, even much fruit. He seeks a maximum yield. In verses seven and eight, Jesus says, "If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." You see, we need to realize that a grapevine is only good for bearing fruit. Unlike the wood from an oak tree, you can't build a house out of vine wood. It's too twisted and knotty and weak. A vine branch can't even hold up a grape cluster on its own. To support its weight, the branch has to be tied to a wire. You can build out a pine, but not out a vine. You know, it's interesting that Jewish rabbinical law prohibited a sacrifice from being burned on top of a vine branch. You see, the branches were worthless for building or for burning. The vine's only useful purpose was for producing and bearing grapes. And this is how our gardener God sees us. We're too twisted, we're too weak for building. God promises to build His church on the rock, on Jesus Christ, not on us. Our only purpose is to bear fruit that glorifies Jesus. This is so important. You need to remember the gardener's gold. Let me repeat it to you. It's not your comfort. It's not your convenience. It's not your contentment. It's fruit. And this is why He doesn't hesitate to prune us. Remember verse 2. Jesus said, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Now understand this. If your life is totally fruitless... I mean, if there's zero evidence of Jesus in your life, I mean, if there's nothing green anywhere on your branch, I mean, if there's no buds, only bud after bud after bud, then, friend, you got serious trouble. Notice in verse 6, Jesus adds, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Hey, one day everybody's going to believe in hell. Trust me, they will. That's where they throw the fruitless folks who somehow manage to avoid God's grace and never get connected to Jesus. That takes a lot of work, by the way. to to walk through life avoiding God's attempts to reach out to you. It takes a lot of hard work to never get connected with Jesus. But if if you don't bear fruit, he's going to cut you off, throw you into the fire. But if you bear fruit, I mean, even if you bear the slightest hint of growth, just a little bitty bit of green ends up on your stalk. There's hope for you. For verse 2 adds, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If Jesus sees fruit in your life, he will prune you so that you can bear more fruit. And then he'll prune you again and again and again so that you can bear much fruit. I'll never forget my trip to Napa when Francisco pulled out those pruning shears. Man, those were some big, bad, sharp shears. Trust me, they were the kind of shears that could do major damage to a vine. And this is always the case when the vine dresser prunes back a vine. It looks as if he's trying to kill the poor plant. He he takes his pruning knife and he starts whacking off foliage. A veteran of the vineyard once referred to the process of pruning as organized destruction. You see, in a typical vineyard, each vine will sprout 40 to 60 different branches. And on each of these branches, it'll hold 20 to 25 buds. In each bud, there are one or two secondary clusters that will grow if the first cluster fails to sprout, which is why the branches have to be pruned. If all the clusters are allowed to to bud, to sprout, the vine can't produce enough sap to support them all. The clusters will either fall off the vine or they'll never reach the sweetness and the softness that produce the finest wines. You see, in most vineyards, the vines are reduced radically. They're cut back from 60 branches to just five. That's some radical pruning. And you may think that's what God has been doing in your life. I mean, the Greek word translated prune in verse 2 is used 15 times in the New Testament. In every other usage, it's translated to destroy or to demolish. That's what we think is happening when God prunes us. Pruning looks severe, but it is absolutely necessary for maximum fruit. You see, God knows that if you and I are to be as fruitful as possible, we also need to be decisively pruned. One author explains the process this way. Pruning is when God cuts away worldly passions and distracting habits that siphon off our spiritual energy. You see, God's pruning knife may cut an unnecessary activity out of your calendar or an unhealthy relationship from your circle of friends or an unholy habit from your lifestyle. Pruning is when God narrows the flow to increase the force. You see, Christians are notorious for substituting busyness for obedience. We forget what God calls us to do and we respond to what people tell us to do. We allow too much foliage to appear on the branch and it draws away the sap that should be going to the fruit. There's a name for the sprouts that shoot out of the stalk above the fruit and siphon off the sap from the grapes. They're called sucker shoots. How appropriate. You see, the life of the vine gets wasted on the leaves instead of the fruit. And this remains Satan's strategy. He suckers us. You see, it's easy for most of us to differentiate between the good and the bad. But Satan often uses the good to distract us from the best. We get spread too thin. More activity isn't always more fruit. We forget that it's better to do a few things faithfully and fruitfully than a lot of stuff that turns out to be nothing but leaves. God has to prune off the suckers. Oh, we need to be pruned. But i got to warn you, pruning is never pleasant. That knife hurts. Hey, try a pair of shears around a part of your life and see if it doesn't hurt. Man, when God cuts off what we're holding on to, we bleed. And we're prone to doubt God whenever we're pruned. We think, God, what are you doing? I thought you loved me. How could this be happening? I'll never forget the two bushes that grew outside the front door of our church's former location. One work day, one of the brothers, he took some pruning shears and he hacked those bushes to pieces. When I saw what he'd done, I, I got steamed, man. I was upset. I thought... Why did he ruin those beautiful bushes? He assured me, he said, Pastor Sandy, it's okay. Just wait a few months and and they'll be looking better than ever. And you know he was right? To my relief, he was right. Pruning really works. Since, I've learned an important principle. And if you write nothing else down this morning, you should write this down. All growth requires change. But all change requires some loss. And all loss requires pain. And you know what that means? That means that if you and I want to grow spiritually and bear more fruit, even much fruit, we've got to accept the pain that comes with that growth. In other words, when God lures the pruning knife down on our life, submit... Stay put. Don't stop abiding in the vine just because it hurts. Don't fight the pruning. Here's the truth. The sharper the knife means the better the life. It's a mark of maturity to welcome the Lord's pruning. Well, got to wrap it up. Here's the four G's this morning. We have a gardener. He loves us so much. But he wants grapes. That's why He has grafted us into the vine. He knows on our own we can do nothing. And that's why He prunes us in order to produce growth, more fruit and much fruit. Remember, you heard it through the grapevine. You can do nothing of yourself. Abide in the vine. If you want fruit to grow outward, then please learn to lean inward. Let's live our lives in a Christward direction. Father, thank you for your love for us today. Thank you for this powerful lesson. What a wonderful passage. Lord, I pray that you have spoken to the hearts of people here this morning. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who is unattached, who has yet to be grafted into Christ, who doesn't know Christ, who's never put their faith in Jesus Christ, if there's someone here this morning, Lord, who fits into that category, I pray that today would be their day. That after our service, that they would come down front, they would meet with one of our elders here in the altar, and they would pray a simple prayer and give their life to Jesus today. I pray that for their life today. We love you, Lord. We pray for us all that we could abide in the vine and bear fruit that glorifies you.